Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey guys, welcome back to the Short Term Show. Today we have Johnny DeRay, an experienced investor from Destin, Florida. Johnny, how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Avery? I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, happy to share all the, the lessons learned that I've had uh, over the years with some other folks. Awesome. Awesome. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got into real estate, what your portfolio looks like, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my my real job uh, is I'm uh, in the Air Force. I've been in for about 15 years now. Uh, I'm a, a pilot by trade, and uh, I've been doing that, uh, like I said, for the past 15 years, ever since I graduated college. Uh, it's the only real job I've known. Uh, married. My wife is also active duty Air Force as well. And then we have uh, four young kiddos, uh, ages nine, seven, five, and three. So uh, we stay pretty busy, uh, which is uh, which is good. Uh, but it also means that uh, it's taught me to be pretty efficient uh, when it comes to the real estate game. Uh, uh, and how I organize my time uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I think as far as uh, you know, the portfolio goes, uh, a few different markets. Um, I have a, a home in DC. I have uh, you know a, a one in uh, Tennessee, and then a few down here in Florida. Uh, a little mix of short term and, and long term. Um, definitely had uh, the long terms for a few years now. The short term game a little bit newer uh, on that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the uh, the big picture of uh, where I'm sitting as far as portfolio goes right now. Awesome. Thank you both for your service, by the way. Thanks. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, about how you got into real estate investing, being in the Air Force. Sure. So it started out um, by just buying a home. Uh, with I had no intention of being a real estate investor. That sounded like something... Uh, that really rich, fancy people from New York City did. Uh, it does not run in my family or my bloodlines at all. So I just, you know, kind of bought a home because uh, I figured that was a thing to do uh, when I when I first uh, got to, to my first duty station in the Air Force. And then I got moved. Um, and, and when I got moved, I was like, well, I guess I could, I could rent this thing out. I've heard people do that before. Again, I didn't know anything about real estate, never read a book didn't know anything. I was like, well, I think maybe if I move, someone will pay me money to live in my house and then I don't have to pay the mortgage and I don't have to worry about selling it. And so that was literally how I got started. Uh, and after about a year or two of that, I said, this is amazing. Uh, I haven't paid a mortgage payment uh, in you know two years, but yet my mortgage has been continually paid down. And so I looked a little bit to the future then and said, okay, well, you know, when I get out of the Air Force someday, whether it be at, you know five years, 10 years or 20 years, it would be nice if I had these homes uh, or this home paid off because then I would get cash flow because at the time I, I wasn't even cash flow. It was just break even. Again, I didn't know anything uh, about, about real estate. I was truly flying by the seat of my pants. And so over the next two or three years, then I bought two, uh, you know, very expensive, you know, $60,000, $75,000 townhomes down here in Florida um, and uh, did that when I was uh, stationed out in New Mexico and did that with the purpose of and I wanted to basically have them fully paid off by the time I left the military. And I just said, OK, if we assume right now that I leave the military in 20 years, you know, how many years left do I have to pay these things off? And uh, and from there, it was like, OK, that's that's what I'm going to do. I'll have these three homes total, these two townhomes in my original home. And if I get them paid off in the next 15 years here, they'll be fully paid off. And uh, and then that'll be a source of extra income for me uh, when I retire. 
And that's what I did. And I just kind of sat there uh, for the next probably five or six years like that and didn't do anything else real estate wise and considered myself a very savvy investor at that point um, because I had three homes and none of which were cash flowing, by the way. Uh, it, you know, We'll talk finances, I'm sure, at some point. But uh, I, again, was coming out of pocket to try to pay them off early because, again, the only thing I could think of was I just want them paid off by the time I get out of the military. That way I actually have cash flow at that point then. So, you know, coming out of my own personal finances to help pay them off early uh, and things like that and i sat like that for five or six years and uh and then essentially um call it maybe three or four years ago uh i had an assignment where i had a little bit of extra time and uh so i just kind of started getting back into real estate a little bit and for the first time ever i started reading books and developing some semblance of knowledge and uh and then you know did some self-reflection and said i am doing this all wrong and if i am coming out of pocket hundreds of dollars every month to pay off my real estate there's not a single book out there that tells me i'm doing it the right way um and so uh again with a little bit of extra time on my hands with the assignment i said let me let me see if i get a little bit smarter about this and, and let me see at this point if i can do something that makes a little bit more sense financially so i started learning about return on investment and and cash flow and cash on cash and, and all these different equations that actually mean something uh, in the real estate world. And so around that time is when I started getting smarter and I said, you know what, I think, I really think I want to go uh, into multifamily. And I think that might be the way to go um, uh, for me personally. And I, and I really need to start doing this the right way. Um, and so I started looking pretty hard at multifamily uh, for maybe four or five months and came pretty close to be honest a few times on, on pulling the, the trigger on an apartment complex. But uh, it was a little bit intimidating. I'll be honest, getting into the kind of the commercial sector and so I ran across some article uh, that just talked about Airbnbs and VRBOs and, and how people were successful with that. And, and so since I hadn't really settled on a direction yet, I said, hey, let me let me look into this a little bit more. Uh, and so I was a member of Bigger Pockets. I went on the, you know, the forum and started going on the short-term rental forum and uh, just started looking at you know some of the numbers that people were throwing out there. And I said, this is this is crazy if people are actually able to, to make this kind of money on, on some of these places. And so I just kept doing my research and just kept learning and learning and learning. And then said, you know what? Um, this seems a little less intimidating than what the you know huge apartment complex uh, seemed to be at the time. And it seems like fun, uh, to be honest with you. And, uh, and as I'm looking at it, I'm like, I, I think I can do this. I, I think uh, this might be where I want to go. And if it doesn't pan out, it, it doesn't pan out. And so I, I basically restructured uh, every home that I had at that point financially and started doing things that made a lot more sense as far as not coming out of pocket and you know set up uh treated it like an actual business at that point uh you know dove kind of head first into the short-term rental game uh obviously working with you at that point then and, and then from there got a, a second one uh down here in florida and i've just kind of grown since then and uh you know the plan now is just to continue to let that portfolio grow uh over the next couple of years Awesome. Awesome. That's a great story. So what is in your portfolio now, uh, long terms versus short terms and where are they? Yeah. So I have, uh, I have one long term uh, right now up in Virginia. I have one, two, three, uh, four long terms down here in Florida, one short term down here in Florida, and then one short term uh, in Tennessee. So it's still a pretty small portfolio overall. I think it's what six or seven doors total uh, at that point then. Awesome. And how did you choose your short-term rental markets? Yeah. So I let other people choose them for me, essentially. Uh, I looked on, you know, I went to the Bigger Pockets Forum and uh, and everyone was just, just raving about Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge. And I had been there before growing up and I was, you know, we'd been gone there once or twice. And I just remember laughing when I was looking at the forums. I'm like, people 
are that crazy about Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area. And I had never disliked my time there, but it was never a place where I thought, oh, you know, I need to, I would definitely want to invest there. Um, but it just seemed to be, from what people were saying, kind of the, the mecca, at least at the time of, of returns uh, for what you were going to pay, uh, what taxes were, insurance, everything else like that, and, and then your returns. Um, and so to be honest, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a ton of time to research every market that was out there. It seemed like there was a pretty established market already in place there. I didn't want to venture out into a place that was kind of unknown, that was on the edge of that VRBO, Airbnb cusp of starting to become a market that was friendly to them. Um, I'd seen enough of the warnings about buying Airbnb, VRBOs in cities um, and how regulations can push you out of that market pretty quickly if you're not careful. So I say, hey, let's, let's do the same thing. And, um, and Tennessee was a great spot for me because at the time I was stationed in D.C., so it was about an eight, eight-and-a-half-hour drive. Um, I knew eventually we'd probably come down here to Florida, so again, it was about an eight, eight-and-a-half-hour drive from there. Um, so, you know, kind of in the middle, I was at least familiar enough with the area that it wasn't someplace I'd never been before. Um, and so I had done that, and then when we came down here to Florida uh, this past year is when I was like, well, I'm pretty familiar with the Destin area as well, uh, so let's go ahead and, and jump into that area and, and see what we can figure out there as well. Um, and again, I just I kind of felt comfortable uh, being down here. And so uh, bought a place down here that uh, we are currently right now living in, uh, but are going to turn into a short-term rental here shortly. And we did that really just to take advantage of, uh, you know, some of the uh, financing and, and whatnot that's out there uh, with the VA. So uh, anyway, that's uh, kind of what picked more markets from there. Okay, great. So you mentioned financing. How are you financing your short-term rentals? Yeah, so I had no idea there was this amazing thing called a, uh, a vacation or a second home loan that required just 10% down. So we took advantage of that one uh, in the Gatlinburg uh, Pigeon Forge area. And essentially what I did when we bought that one was I took the long-term rentals that I had here in Florida that, I, again, I had them on 15-year loans at the time because I was just trying to pay them off as quickly as possible. And I restructured all their financing and just did cash out refis on all of them. Um, although I was really, uh, really not very intelligent to start off with how I'd set that up, the one advantage I had was because I had them set up on 15-year loans and was paying out of pocket, and because the market down here had appreciated, I had built a, a decent amount of equity uh, into the short term, sorry, into the long-term rentals that I had down here. So I, I basically just did cash out refis on the three or four that I had, um, set them up on 30-year 30 ter 30 terms, which and I, enabled me now to actually get cash flow uh, with those properties, and then took, uh, I think it was essentially three cash out refis, and then just use that uh, as the down payment then on the 10% uh, vacation home, the second home loan that we used to buy the cabin uh, in Tennessee. Uh, coming down here to Florida, when we bought the home we're now, we used uh, the VA loan, uh, which allowed us to go, um, you know, 0% down. Uh, it is our primary home and it will be our primary home uh, here for now. Uh, but again, that was just a way to kind of get into a home that I knew we were going to look at as a short-term rental eventually, uh, but to get into it with, you know, virtually no cash down and then flip it into a short-term rental once we left from here, if that makes sense. That's awesome. That's an awesome strategy. I have had several... Uh, friends, investor friends that have done the VA and then live there for a little while. Uh, I think that whatever the minimum requirement is, I think it's a year maybe. And yeah. then, uh, then made it into a short-term rental. It's a really great way to get in with, um, with 0% down, but you do have to live there. That is one, one um, option with, with where the mortgage people actually, the mortgage people, who am I? What am I saying? But uh, <laughs> where they actually do check to make sure you are not committing mortgage fraud when it's a VA loan. I've seen some people try to yeah. hurt the rules <clears throat> with primary home loans, which is also mortgage fraud, by the way. But mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I know they're super strict with the VA. So if you're planning on doing that, you really do have to follow the rules for sure. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent, and and, uh, and we are, and we we knew we were going to come down here. Um, and the the good news is we knew we were probably only going to be down here for two to three years, um, and that's not really in our control. That's in the Air Force's control. And the way the VA loan works too is once the Air Force decides to move you, well, that's out of your control. So at that point, you're allowed to do with the house what you'd like to. Uh, and we knew that coming in, uh, and so that was something where we we understood uh, what the restrictions were, uh, but we still took advantage of the fact that we could come down here and essentially get into a place with zero percent down. Um, it limited our search a little bit because we were trying to balance a bunch of different things, right? Because it was still going to be our primary home for a little bit. So we couldn't just go full scale, uh, you know, the villages at Crystal Beach, uh, where we were going to have neighbors that were going to be up, you know, till three in the morning every single night. And uh, spring break was going to be a nightmare. You know, we still have kids that needed to have a bit of a neighborhood. Uh, but at the same time, we we're trying to find a place that no kidding people would want to come to uh, whenever they came down here on vacation. So it, it was a little bit of a, a struggle to find a place for sure. But once we found one, we were just all in with like, this is exactly what we're looking for. Let's try to make this happen. So what neighborhood did you land on in Destin, by the way? Because Villages of Crystal Beach, yeah, that is a little, little bit spring break. But it's, I mean, they make great money in there. I, mine oh. is like a little bit outside of that neighborhood. It's not in that neighborhood, but it's in Crystal Beach. Yeah. And it has been crushing it. Yeah, no, Avery, I'm telling you, if if it was just an investment, Villages of Crystal Beach, I think is where it's at. Because those homes, at least this summer, there was a lot of them that were like in that 500 to 550 range. And I was just running the numbers at what I thought they could bring in. And I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Now, their, their HOA is kind of high, but that, that pool they have there is pretty ridiculous. And if it was just that, it would... It 100% that's where we would have been. But my wife is the sane one. And so as I'm trying to explain it to her, like she's putting two and two together and she's like, you want to live here? And I was like, well, just temporarily, like, you know, but it'll be fine. Like, you know, it's like a neighborhood feel. And she's like, look at me and she knows, right? She's like, no, she's like, I see what this place is. She's like, this place from, you know, May till August is going to be a nightmare for our kids and whatnot. And I was like, do you really think it's going to be that bad? She's like, yes, you need to find a place that actually is going to be livable. So anyway, long story short, uh, we end up settling in the dunes of Destin, which um, if you're familiar at all with Destin, right after you cross the bridge, um, we're, we're, don't, we're not very far down. We're in fact, we're before Henderson Park. So uh, we're actually right behind the Mellow Mushroom uh, in Destin area there. And to be honest for us, it's perfect because it's close to the base we're both stationed at, which we want to keep our drive distance down for that too. Um, we have, you know, we're south of 98. Uh, so the, the community has private beach access, which is obviously extremely important, um, at least in the specific area that we're in right here. Uh, it has a nice pool in the backyard, uh, you know, nothing huge, but, you know, has a pool and, uh, and was set up as a short-term rental whenever we bought it. So one of the great challenges we actually had was when we were in DC, I was like, well, we're moving into a place that's fully furnished and, you know, we're a larger family. We had a decent amount of stuff. So we ended up basically selling everything we own before we left DC. Cause I'm like, we can't move a full size house into a full size house that's already furnished. And so we had a little bit of that struggle. And even when we got here, there was stuff coming out of the moving truck. And I'm like, we have no place for that in this house. Like there's no, there's no basements, obviously in Florida, there's no attic. I'm like, I'm against paying for storage. Uh, and so we had a pretty large yard sale when we first came down here of things that I'm just like, this is not going to fit in the house, um, which is going to make when we move out of here also a fun adventure. Cause we're going to move into a place that's probably not going to be fully furnished and we're going to have nothing. We're going to be at card tables again. Uh, but that's fine. We'll figure it out. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, that's a really great area. And in Destin, you do have to be south of 98. I, a lot of people ask me, oh, well, what about this place that's over on the bay? And yeah. while the bay is kind of cool, that's people don't really, when they vacation here, they do not 
go to the bay. They're going to the beach. And you're also not allowed to short-term rent north of 98 either. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, So first off, I didn't know you weren't allowed to short-term rent north of 98. Uh, (laughs) That's great to know because I came, I won't say we came close, but when you looked like at, um, like uh, up at uh, Kelly Plantation, I mean, for what we paid for this place, I was looking up there and I was like, oh my gosh, we could have, you know, a five bedroom place, 4,000 square feet with a guest house and a pool for about the same price. And again, my wife's the same one. I was like, oh, look at this, how much space we'd have. And I'm like, I'm pretty, we could rent that. Like we would make some money and it would be the same cost. And my wife's like, no, she's like, and she said, she, she does not do this uh, at all. Like I do, but even she looked at, she's like, if I was looking to come down here, I would never stay there. She's like, look how far away you are from the beach. I would not want to drive every day to try to find a public parking spot to go to the beach. She's like, you got, if you're going to do this, we have to be South of 98. And she's exactly right. I mean, she's, she's spot on with that. It's exactly where we needed to be, but it was tempting. say that oh yeah she sounds she sounds very smart because that is the thing in destin too that the public beach access while there are plenty of public beaches to go to the the parking is just not there so your guests even if you did have a really great place north of 98 or or not walkable to the beach Mm -hmm. they're just not going to be happy because when they do drive to the beach they're going to be driving around for hours trying to find a parking spot and that's going to be reflected in your review because they're going to be annoyed with their entire vacation because of that yeah no that's exactly right and so we we obviously got into a i mean it's not small Uh, our place right now is four bedroom 2500 square feet so by no means is that a small place but you know compared to what we could have gotten outside of or north of 98 it was significantly smaller but in the end i'm with you 100 percent the fact that we can walk to the beach and you know we have a pool set up already um the size at that point dwarfs anything we would have gotten uh by being north of 98 um and, and that sort of thing so yeah, no, I agree with you. It's a great market. You just, you do need to be knowledgeable of the area for sure. Whereas I feel like more of like Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, you can, I feel like it's a broader range that you can find success in. I mean, there's certain pockets, I'm sure. And obviously you're more familiar with the market than I am, but I feel like Destin is a little bit more specific in where you can be to generate income versus kind of all over the place up there in Gatlinburg area. Yeah, you're exactly right. So Destin 30A, Panama City Beach, you really do have to be walking distance to the beach to in order to be an attractive rental. Whereas in the Smokies, as long as it's within like a 25 minute drive time of either Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg, not equidistant, that's not possible to do. But uh, 25 minutes from either or you're going to be in pretty good shape. And even there's there's definitely a lot of exceptions to that rule. That's just kind of a a loose rule of thumb that I use, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's definitely more flexible with, uh, with location there for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, the first one that we're, that we've been running here is, you know, right off the parkway at Pigeon Forge, it's perfect location. And I, for this second, we're under contract now for a second one up there. That's a new home being built, uh, will be complete in, uh, in August. You know, we worked with, with you guys on that one too. I was, the second one is out in cobbling up. And I remember when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, I don't know that that's that's out there. And especially because it's like a solid 45 minutes, I think, from my current one. And I was just like, no, I am going to stay within like a 10 minute drive of my current one for my whole portfolio. That way I can use the same cleaners and use the same handyman, use all the same people. And, uh, you know, Julie was just like, ah, you can do that if you want. But especially in today's market, you're going to really limit yourself. And she's like, I don't think you're going to find the drop off you're thinking you're going to find out there in Cobbly Knob, even though, you know, you're 20, 25 minutes from Gatlinburg. And sure enough, when I, when I went up there and, and looked at it, I was like, oh, you're right. This isn't that bad. And then when I looked on Airbnb and VRBO, I'm like, everyone's renting out here. There's all kinds of houses that seem to be, you know, fully booked all the time. So 
all right, I, you know, I, I trust the people that know more than I do. And so, uh, so yeah, we are significantly outside where I thought we would be for our second one here, but I think it'll work out okay. Julie McCoy, ever the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's she is. great. And Cobbling Knob is beautiful. And it does, when you're looking at a map, it does seem like it's kind of far, but it is really a straight shot on a straight mm -hmm. highway to Gatlinburg. So it's not that far, but it's very easy to be for one property to be 45 minutes from another property, but not be too far from all the attractions. Like if you buy something yeah. in Wears Valley, I've got several in Wears Valley, and those are going to be 45 minutes from Gatlinburg. But the good thing about the Smokies is that when people are coming to visit there, not all of the attractions are in one central downtown location. So if people yeah. are coming for a week, you know, they're going to go to Gatlinburg and do all the Gatlinburg stuff. They're going to go to Dollywood, which is in Pigeon Forge. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to Cades Cove, which is down southwest of Wears Valley. So they're going to go to all the different places. So it's not like they're driving 45 minutes every day to do something. Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree with you on that one. And obviously you have a lot more experience in the market than what I do. But I as I, uh, like I said, it just, the market just seems not, not you're not going to find success everywhere. Uh, but I definitely think there's just a broader range of, of places you can be and still find success up there. So yeah, fully agreed. So let's talk about pool properties because as of right now, both your properties <laughs> have pools and one, your property in Pigeon Forge has an indoor pool. That is like the hot new thing to have in the Smokies market. You have yeah. one. Tell us what it's like. Yeah, so the pool, man, it it started out as a love-hate relationship, I will be honest. Um, it was, I would say, 90% of the people that booked my place booked it for the pool. It was also 90% of my problems initially and my headaches. So on the day that I did a booking that was a very high-priced booking, I was like, yes, I know that's because it's the pool. And then every time I had an issue and it was a pool, I was like, I hate this pool. I'm never buying another pool cabin again. And we had this relationship for a while. Now, Part of the problem was that I, when I bought the cabin, it was not new. Uh, it was not old, but it had been three or four years old, and it had been managed by a management company previously. So none of the maintenance stuff had been taken care of. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. But really what that meant for the pool was that there was just a lot of issues with the pool they never addressed, including I, I remember as my second guest called me and said, hey, the, the pool is really, really hot right now. And I was like, that's weird. Guests don't really complain. I thought guests didn't complain about having a hot pool, but I was like, you know, whatever. So I called my pool guy. And so he goes out and he calls me. He's like, Hey, your pool is 99 degrees right now. And I was like, Ooh, that's hot for a pool. <laughs> and so he basically, we're trying to troubleshoot it real time on the phone. And he's like, you're the way they built the cabin. He's like, your pump room is like back in the corner. There's no airflow in there whatsoever. And it's hot now it's August. So he's like, it's you know hot outside. He's like, I just think everything in that room is overheating. He's like, when I go in there, I can barely you know stand up. It's so hot. He's like, I think the problem is it's just all that uh, heat is just radiating in there and it's not allowing your, your pool cannot cool itself essentially. And so it's overheating your pump and everything else like that. So one of the first things we had to do uh, was we had to zip, in that room so we had to call the contractor to get airflow and uh, flow moving in there and, and then that fixed it um and then you know there was the the actual no kidding ac unit the heat pump for the pool area uh, did not have a remote to it and i totally missed that in my walkthrough that did not have a remote well then you couldn't control the temperature so whatever it was set at, it was set, you know, fairly high. And then eventually we got to the point where we realized there was no remote. And so then I'm trying to, you know, buy a remote and get it programmed and, and get that temperature down to where it needed to be. Um, I will say this, though, and this will get more to things that matter. Finding a good pool guy 
uh, is the same as finding good cleaners. And, and you are just 100% uh, reliant upon that individual. And I did not start out with a lot of success with finding a good pool guy. Uh, as you mentioned, pools are fairly new. Because of that, there are not a lot of companies down there that do pools. And so the one company that was recommended to me when I called them, they just said, hey, we're too busy. We're too, we've, we've taken on too much. We're not taking any new pools right now. You need to find somebody else. So then you're kind of calling people and asking for recommendations. And uh, my initial pool guy uh, just wasn't very reliable. And so I would see him on the camera show up and be out of there within five minutes on most turn days. And I know it did not take five minutes to turn that pool and to, to get it where it needed to be. And so then I have guests, you know, just constantly complaining and saying, hey, your pool's dirty. And it was. Uh, and, and your pool's got this uh, issue wrong with it and the water temperature's off. And I mean, it was literally a nightmare for the first, I'd say, three or four months. Uh, eventually, I, I was able to connect with the company uh, that I would consider the most professional company down there. And they said, hey, we'll, you know, we'll start turning your pool for you if you want. We have some openings now if you'd like to get in. Ever since having them take it over, I have had zero issues with it. And I'm like 100% back to absolutely loving having the pool at this point. I haven't had someone call about it since they've taken it over in the past, uh, you know, probably two or three months here now. Um, and everything's gone really smoothly. So it's, it's been great. But just finding that person to take care of it and turn it and keep it up to, to, uh, to what it needed to be was so important. Because I guarantee you, if you have a pool cabin, the very first thing your guests are doing when they show up to your house is they're running down to check out the pool because it's a novelty thing, right? Like no one else has pools in their house. So like every single person would get in that house and I don't, I mean, they would literally do nothing else but run down to that pool area and, and check the pool out. And if the water was cold, if it was murky, if there was, you know, any hair in the pool, if the area around the pool wasn't cleaned up, man, I got that notification immediately on my phone. That's like, Hey, we got issues with the pool. And then I'm, you know, scrambling at that point, trying to get somebody out there. So uh, hopefully that answers your question about uh, the pool cabin. Having good people on your team is of the utmost importance with short-term rentals. Your cleaner, your pool person, if you have a pool, those are, I mean, those are your core people and your handy person for sure. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, and so it's been, I've loved it since then. You know, like I said, it's it's been great. We haven't had any major issues. We've gotten a dehumidifier installed. Um, the guys now are just so professional that we have because they'll, 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 no kidding, you know, they'll set the temperature of the room where it needs to be. You know, your pool temperature or the room in the, um, uh, the pool room needs to be set two degrees higher than what your pool temperature is set to. And most people don't know that. And that's for just a lot of the moisture reasons and, and a lot of the humidity that it creates if you don't have it set like that. Well, they're always checking that. They're setting it. They're letting me know if it's off. Um, and, and they're testing the water each and every time. They're sending me a full report every time they see it. Um, if guests are going to be there for more than seven days, they'll do what's called a midterm stay because the pool just gets nasty after a week or so if you don't have it. Um, and so, you know, some of the keys to success that we learned were, you know, we have someone come and turn it between every single stay. Um, um, I think that's important for an indoor indoor pool. I probably won't do that with the outdoor one we have here in Destin. I think you get away with a little bit more in an outdoor pool, uh, but in the indoor pool, just because just the amount that people are using it. I mean, people are in that thing nonstop when they're there. Um, so I think it's imp important to turn it uh, for each and every stay. And, and then just having, again, those professionals that are there actually no kidding, taking care of it and then letting you know what's wrong with it and, and getting, uh, you know, heading off the, the, the issues earlier on rather than later. Absolutely. So let's talk about how much that pool is making you. So tell us a little bit about how big the property is, how many bedrooms, what are you grossing? Let's hear some numbers. Yeah, sure. No, I'll talk numbers all day long. I probably should have pulled up my Excel sheet. But um, so we bought the property and went live last June. I think our first live date was around June 10th, 11th, somewhere around there. 
um, five bedrooms uh, with a pool. So five bedrooms is five and a half bathrooms, 3850 square feet, I want to say. Um, good views. I wouldn't say they're great views. Um, I think I probably have a very high standard for views. And so when some people tell me the views are amazing, I'm like, they're okay. Like they're, they're not bad, but I don't consider them like great. I've definitely seen cabins with better views than what mine has, um, but in a great location. So we're only about 10 minutes from the strip at downtown Pigeon Forge there. Um, and so talking numbers uh, right now, we haven't done it a full year, um, but I think so it's what March. So we still have, and I'm mostly booked, I'm pretty much booked all the way through April. May is pretty open at this point in the first week of June, but I'm getting to the point where I can almost say a year. We've grossed um, right now we're at 232. Uh, for the year, uh, up through including to June 7th. Uh, now that's gross. So that's including, you know, all taxes, cleaning fees, everything under the sun uh, with that one. Um, yeah, go ahead. $232,000 for the year. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now that is amazing. We hit the COVID wave for sure. I mean, there, there's no doubt. And, and I don't know when that wave is going to subside. I expect it will eventually, but but we've been riding it and, and we timed it perfectly. And that was just pure luck. You know, we came online, like I said, June 7th, which is right about the time that people were, you know, starting to kind of decide it was time to go on vacation. Um, and again, that's not true in all parts of the country, but at least for what I've seen from the Gatlinburg area, uh, that was true. So we didn't suffer through March, April, May, you know, like a lot of people did. We're again, we're just fortunate to come online at the right time. Um, and then we were booked. I think last year we were 85 percent uh, occupancy rate and then our ADR average daily rate. I want to say it was right around 550, 560. I don't have to take a look to, to see specifically. Um, we grossed uh, 65 uh, last year in, you know, a little over half a year uh, for that place. And again, uh, really fortunate riding that that COVID wave. Um, we had a pretty good January. February was probably the, the slowest month we had, but I also used that time to fix a lot of things that were done. So our, our CapEx went up pretty high this past February. I replaced the pool table and a bunch of other things. So that was pretty low. Uh, but, you know, looking March and April and, and uh, coming into the summer here, um, you know, we're pretty much booked all through April. Again, May is pretty open right now still. June is about half booked at this point. Um, I will say compared to some of the smaller cabins, we probably don't, we see more further up bookings, um, but at the same time we see larger bookings too. You know, I've set our min days at four right now. I'll lower that to three sometime around November, December timeframe. Obviously the holidays, I like to keep those at four or five days. Um, and uh, and, and I'd, I'd like to see 80% for the year again, 85, I think, was great. I don't know if I'll see that again this year, but uh, even 80, I'm, I'm fine with because we're just trying to keep our, you know, our average daily rate uh, that high. I will say uh, over the summer right now, just, you know, we're talking numbers. Uh, most of our days in June, July, and August are over a thousand a night at this point, uh, which might be a touch high, but we've had three or four bookings uh, at that rate. Last year, that was kind of like our holiday rate. And this year I just said, well, let, let's see, right? Let's you know, I use price labs. Uh, I used to restrict price labs because sometimes price labs would be really high. And I was like, uh, price labs might be a little over aggressive here, but I've kind of just taken the, the reins off of price labs. I'm like, you know, let's see. And if you know, we get four or five weeks out and I still have absolutely nothing, then obviously we'll lower. Um, but so far, uh, you know, like I said, we, we've been booking at those rates uh, over the summer here. So I've been pretty happy with it. Awesome. And just to clarify, yours is a five bedroom with an indoor pool or a four? 
Five. Five bedroom. Yeah. Five bedroom. Uh, now it does only sleep 10 and we advertise that we have five king beds. I have, that's how it came. I have not changed it. Um, and we have no pull out couches that pull into sofas. But what I do tell folks is we let up to 14 in the cabin because we have, the bedrooms are fairly large. Like you could put a full size or queen air mattress down and our game room has a ton of open space. So I just tell folks, you know, clear up, Hey, we only sleep 10. You can bring up to 14. Just know that if you bring 14, you're going to have to bring air mattresses or whatever you want to do or put folks on the couch. I don't care uh, for that. And we've never had an issue with it. No one's ever shown up and been like, what? There's only sleeping for 10? Like, no, we've just been very clear from the start um, that, that we have that in place. And again, if, if you have a bunch of kids, it's, it's fine because there's a ton of space up there to throw down air mattresses and things like that. So, Awesome. Yeah, there's really two schools of thought many people you should sleep. Some people I'm of the school of thought that I don't want to, I don't want to make comfortable. I feel like, you know, if you're stacking them high and deep, they're going to be less. So they're going to be automatically like a little bit more sensitive to other annoyances on their trip, which I think will affect your review. Yeah. So, you know, if they come in and they're stacked on top of each other and they don't have a lot of space, they might be a little more sensitive to like, oh, the cleaner might have missed wiping out the inside of the microwave or something like that. But then there's another mm -hmm. school of thought that would tell me that I'm wrong and that I'm leaving a lot of money by not having that cabin sleep like 20 people. And neither one of them is wrong. It's just a management decision about what is right for you and what you want to deal with with your property. Yeah, I probably fall on the former of that rather than the latter of that argument in that I do believe there's something to be said when you start having minor annoyances come up and that people just start down that dangerous slope of like, well, maybe I don't, I don't really, maybe I don't like this place as much as I thought. And then, you know, kind of one thing leads to another. So I think, you know, if we wanted to, we could open ours up and say 16, 18, maybe even 20, that'd probably be stretching it. But I don't want to do that for those exact reasons. And to be honest with you, I, we charge, I think it's like, um, it's $15 maybe per extra guest per night, anything over 10. Cause I have found that 10 seems to be my magic number when the amount of mess and problems goes up exponentially after 10 guests. Uh, and I don't know why that number seems to be the way it is, but for whatever reason, uh, when we start getting into 11, 12, 13 and 14, that tends to be at least two to three families coming with kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, obviously, I have four kids. I love kids, but kids also destroy things. And for whatever reason, when we start getting to those higher numbers, uh, I know that the mess is going to be there. And so we just we, we charge a little bit more so we can give our cleaners a little bit of a bonus for that time. Yeah, that's a great move because the more people, the, the bigger the mess. And you really want to make sure that your cleaners stay happy because <laughs> they're your yes. most important person on your team. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. We did our first transition. Um, uh, for, for cleaners, uh, literally uh, 10 days ago, uh, we, we moved on from our first set of cleaners we had had from the start. And it was like, it was like the most awful thing ever. Like I lost sleep over like firing my cleaners and bringing on new people. And it was time. And my wife told me it was time like two months ago. And of course I didn't listen to her. Um, but it was just, it was painful. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> it's tough. And I found that most first cleaners don't end up being your long-term cleaner. It's just a figuring out of processes and personalities. And mm -hmm. it just, I mean, my first cleaner lasted six or seven months. That was my own fault because I let her walk all over me from the get-go. She'd been doing this for 30 years, and I was some 26-year-old idiot that was telling her what to do in her mind. And um, 
you know, she started right from the get go. The very first guest, she called me and said, how could you possibly rent your place to these people? I cannot believe you would rent your place to them. They've left it so horrible. And she wanted 30 extra bucks. And I fell for that the first time. And then over the course of the next seven or eight months, it started happening more often. And there were a few times that I happened to be in the area showing cabins. So I just popped in yeah. before she went in there to see how bad it was to see if she would say anything. And there, I caught her two or three times saying that, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And it was not. And so finally I had to, had to have a conversation with her. Then that didn't go well. And then a few weeks later I had to just pull the plug and it, it sucked. I, I lost sleep over it. It was, I, I hate firing people. It really is the worst. And she cried and you know, it, oh. I yeah, I was almost like, no, 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 never mind. I'm not, I'm not going to fire you, but I couldn't because it <laughs> she'd already, you know, actions speak louder than words. And the actions had been that way for months now. And it was just, the whole thing is, was terrible, but it is something that you have to go through as a host and learn from. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that's a hundred percent accurate. I, I, we had less of an issue with our cleaner asking for extra money and more of just, she wasn't the one actually cleaning it. And we had, I think there was a new person in there every time. And so just the consistency wasn't there. And we were just constantly having guests call and be like, Hey, this is dirty. This is disgusting. That's dirty. And you know, we, there was a lot of excuses of like, well, they must've dirtied it. And then, you know, called you as soon as they dirtied it. And again, like being young and not knowing I was like, Oh, you must be right. Like, I trust you more than the guests. My turning point was my mom went down there to help set up uh, some Christmas decorations for me. And I just, yeah, I didn't tell her my mom was coming, uh, but I, I intentionally booked it like a normal guest. And uh, my mom called me and she was like, I will literally knock it in your bed right now because there's hair all through them. These sheets are disgusting. And I was like, what? There's hair in the sheet. She's like, this is gross. And then she started going through the house then. And she's like, your place is absolutely nasty. And I trust my mom you know, a lot. Uh, and so that was kind of the turning point for me, but I still didn't learn my lesson. I still was like, well, I just need to have a, another talk, you know, I, this is my fifth talk, you know, of like setting expectations. Um, and then eventually it was just like, okay, uh, enough's enough. I went like three guests in a row that were all kind of getting furious about the cleanliness. I was like, all right, this is it. But I was so nervous about this whole firing situation. I'm like stressing, right? So it's like Saturday and we're eating at a restaurant. And I told my wife, I was like, we have to do it today if I'm gonna do it because I have someone kind of lined up and she's waiting on an answer and we have a turn tomorrow. But so like, I need to make the decision. I was like, I'm just gonna go do it right now. I'm just, I'm just gonna rip off the bandaid. And so I call and it rings and it rings. And I'm like, yes, please don't answer. You know, it's just, I don't, I'm gonna like fall apart. And so, I get to the voicemail and like, as soon as it's like beeps, I like, I still fall apart and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? So I do this like super awkward word vomit, like, Hey, just want to thank you so much for all you've done for us, but it's probably time for us to move on. Not because you're not bad. Well, there's been a lot of things that have been bad, but not always bad. And I just like lose it. Like it's awful. And I just like, can't hang up the phone. Like it's like out of a movie. I just can't hang. I don't think this is a voicemail I'm leaving. Okay. And eventually I just end with, so if you bring all my sheets back tomorrow and put them on the porch, it'd be great. Thanks. Bye. And I'm like, oh. and so then my wife comes out. Cause I did this all in like in the, in the truck on my own. And she's like, did you call her? I was like, yeah, I left a voicemail. She's like, you did what? I was like, I left a voicemail. She's like, you fired her over voicemail. Like, yeah. Is that not okay? No, that's not okay. She's like, that's as bad as a text message. It's not as bad as a text message. Like, I, I at least called her. She's like, you should have just called her and told her, hey, call me back. I'm like, yeah, but then I would have had to have talked to her. And this was like kind of like my way of not doing that. And she's like, you're the worst. Like, never do this again. <laughs> so 
<laughs> that's how this went uh, when I when I fired her. And she did not. I mean, like, if she had cried on the phone with her, I probably would have just rehired her. I'm that weak right now. I just would have been like, all right, fine, I'll give you one more chance. But you know, fortunately, we've moved on. There's no hard feelings or anything like that. It was just you know, I had different expectations than what she had. So here we are. <laughs> It's a really good lesson, though. I think that was a really good nugget of wisdom for the listeners. So moving on from that, when you're looking for a deal nowadays, what constitutes a good deal for you? Yeah, I'm, I look pretty hard at cash on cash, to be honest with you. That's kind of my big go to. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that because that's what I'm looking at STR for. I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about appreciation. Uh, you know, the tax benefits are going to be what they are. Uh, those aren't going to change and there's not going to come to my analysis. And, uh, you know, the, the mortgage is going to get paid down. So really, for me, I'm, you know, hey, it's a balance of cash flow and appreciation. And I'm looking cash flow at this point why I'm less worried uh, about what I'm paying for a property. You know, I know the market right now, especially in Gatlinburg is, is hot and it's hot everywhere, but that market is particularly hot. And I know some people are freaking out about, well, how could I possibly, you know, the person before me spent, you know, 400 on this place. How could I possibly justify paying 650? Cause it's, it's been like a year or two years, but I don't, I could care less about that. I run my calculator I have on my Excel sheet and I, you know, put in the cost and I you know, figure out what I'm going to make. And then I look at, Hey, what, what's my cash on cash going to be? And, and then the second thing I'm looking at is what am I going to make in a year? Uh, what am I going to gross in a year? And, and fortunately with this past year, I've gotten a good sense of here's what my you know, supplies are going to cost. Here's what my utilities are going to cost that sort of thing. And to be honest, Avery, when I run my numbers, you know, people tend to freak out about the mortgage and, and overpaying for a home. And again, if I was looking to sell it in a year, I would pay attention to that, but I'm not. There's, not the difference that people think there are there is between like a $450,000 loan and a $550,000 loan or $650,000 loan. You're talking about, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, which on some of these bigger places, you're talking about a night or two a, a month. And so I don't get wrapped up in that uh, nearly much at all. I, I'm just looking for, hey, what do I think it can generate income wise? And, you know, obviously, can I afford it? What's my down payment going to be? What's my cash on cash going to look like? And then what do I think it's going to gross in a year? Um, and so I, I try to, I like the bigger places, to be honest, um, for the same reasons I just talked about. I just, the, the bigger you go, the more you're going to generate, but your mortgage payment and your utilities aren't going to, I mean, they're going to increase for sure, but not to the rate at which your income is going to increase when you start talking, getting into the four or five bedrooms with a view and things like that. So I would rather have bigger properties and fewer of them, fewer to manage and just, you know, make the same amount of money versus having six or seven smaller ones. But, but that's just my own personal philosophy and kind of what I've gone into this with. I 100% agree with that. Um, it's the same amount of effort to manage a two bedroom as it is to manage a five bedroom. It's the same amount of messages back and forth on Airbnb or Verbo, uh, but it's just more efficient. And you've when you've got one bigger property, you only have one set of systems to fail to have to fix. And with multiple properties, you know, you have two or three roofs, two or three HVACs, two or three sets of pipes to leak, the whole thing. So I'm definitely a big believer in if you have a set amount of capital that you're going to spend on short-term rentals, a fewer number of larger properties is better than a larger number of smaller properties. But I mean, the smaller ones are going to do what you need them to do also, but just for maximum efficiency and maximum return on investment, smaller number of larger properties is the way to go. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I, I agree with you on that one. Awesome. So coming to the end of the show, we have our final three questions. So Johnny, what would you, what advice would you give 20 year old Johnny if you could talk to him today? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, I tell myself that there's this thing called real estate uh, and, and I should probably get smarter on it sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, like I said, I, 
I was very fortunate when I came out. I had a consistent job, I had consistent pay, uh, you know, being in the Air Force, but I didn't, I didn't know anything. So I, I didn't house hack or any of the, the cool, uh, you know, bigger pockets things they teach, which, which are cool because they work and they make sense. Um, and so I didn't do any of that. I just, you know, paid rent out of pocket for the longest time when I easily would have qualified for, you know, VA loans and things like that. I just wasn't thinking about it. Um, and, uh, and again, I thought real estate was something that, you know, you only use the term real estate if you were like uh, a super rich, savvy investor from New York City. Otherwise, you just said you're buying a home. And I thought that was something you did like once in your life. And if you were like super successful, you might have a second home that's like a hunting camp somewhere. But that was about it. <laughs> um, so I would tell myself, first and foremost, you know, look into real estate. I just it, the, the returns and the tax benefits. And I, I'm like full sale, wholehearted believer in it. And I, you know, I invest in the stock market, too. Um, I, you know, I do long term index type stuff. I don't play the, the day to day trading game. But uh, that's just because I don't I don't have time to get smart at everything. And uh, I like real estate because I can control my success a lot more. Um, and I'm just I don't have the time to get smart on how to do the day to day trading thing at all. Um, so I probably encourage myself to do that. Uh, second piece for 20 year old self would just be to not be intimidated. Uh, I absolutely was intimidated when I first started out, even just thinking about running. Pretty, I was like, I hope I can, I hope I can do this. I don't really know if I can. This seems like who's my PBI. It's not being intimidated. Uh, there's no reason to not be educated on things in today's world. I mean, there's just so much information at your fingertips that if you want to get smart on something, you can, uh, there's no reason you can't. And so I would tell myself to not be intimidated by it. And then the third piece I would tell my 20 year old self, and this will go counter a little bit to some of the folks that are out there like Michael Blank and whatnot that are kind of go big, go early. I, I would tell myself to, to start small and that's okay. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting out with a you know $50,000 townhome and just kind of learn the ropes and figure out what you want to do and what you like and things like that and, and building up from there. I would say the one thing that I didn't do that I wish I had done was it's, it's fine to start small, but be aggressive. That's what I didn't do. I started small and then I just kind of small and I didn't really do anything for five or six years in real estate. And yeah, I was busy, but I mean, no busier than I am now, to be honest with you. I just kind of settled, to be honest with you. I thought, well, this is as good as someone like me can do on my current income. When in reality, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to, to generate income and to, to grow and be successful at this. Um, and so, uh, again, I think there's nothing wrong with starting out small. I would just say, hey, if you're going to start out small, absolutely fine. Get your feet underneath you. I'd recommend you do that. But just be aggressive with it. You know, keep pursuing new avenues to, to grow in real estate and, and to, to build your portfolio and get better. That's great advice. I would give myself similar advice. <laughs> yeah. um, so piggybacking off of that, what advice would you give for a brand new investor who's looking to get started in it today? Uh, now, short term specific or just investing writ large real estate? Either one. Okay. I'll do a little bit of each if that's okay. Um, I think first and foremost, it is so important to have a, a system and processes in place. And by that, I know we like to use big fancy terms. For me, that's literally just checklists. And so one of the things I did have going for me when I started out was coming from the military and, and as an aviator, you know, there's checklists for everything. And so I was kind of used to that and, and my brain works in that way. And so I, before I even got into setting up that, you know, the short-term rental, I just opened up a Word document and called it, you know, short-term rental ops manual, you know, operations manual, and just said, what should I put on page two now? And so I just started from there, my 40-page document, and uh, I just started basically taking notes. I would go online and read through the Bigger Pockets forum, and, and now that, you know, the short-term shop Facebook group is amazing, there's a lot of great information there, and just say, okay, how do I want to set it up? And I just made a checklist for here's how I want to set it up, and then I would just keep reading, and, you know, folks would have great ideas, like, hey, the first time you walk through, make sure you tighten all your toilet handles, and, you know, take all the 
smoke alarms and put 10-year lithium, you know, lithium batteries in there and things like that that are just like, oh, that's a really good idea. So I'd write that down. So by the time I got to my place for the first time to set it up, I it was easy. It, easy in the sense that I I didn't run into any problems I didn't foresee. It was hard in that I didn't have a lot of time and I was kind of pressed for time and we were there a lot and things like that. But as far as like, I never felt like behind the power curve because I had sat down and thought about what I wanted to do before that. And then the same lessons learned applied to actually running it. You know, a lot of folks talk about how the first six weeks when you're setting it up are just a nightmare and all this stuff. I'll be honest, I, I didn't have a nightmare first six weeks when we went live. It was honestly no different than it is now. And, but that was only because I had already sat down beforehand and spent the time to say, hey, when I run it, what is my checklist? What is my checklist going to be when somebody books? What do I want to do? Yeah, and obviously, I've refined that through time as I've learned. Um, but then what do I want to do whenever you know this inquiry comes? And how do I want to set up some your porter and things like that to respond? And how do I want to get my audit? I did all that beforehand. So that day I went live, when things would happen, I would just follow my checklist. And in the same regard, I did the same thing for even like, a, I said, like an emergency procedures uh, section. And so I have not had bed bugs yet. Uh, I'm going to knock on every bit of wood that I can find around here at this point. But <laughs> I know that everyone win. says, exactly. That's what everyone says. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to be, the day I get bed bugs, I don't want that to be the first time I'm like Googling, like, what do you do about bed bugs? So I, I sat down a couple months ago and just did that. I looked through again, the bigger pockets forum, the short-term rental uh, shop, Facebook group, and just said, Hey, what are people that have had this? What do they do? And there are a set number of steps that people do from who they call fumigating, calling Airbnb or VRBO to get them set up to move to a new cabin, all that kind of stuff. So I just made a checklist. So I am confident that the day I get the call that I have bed bugs, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to pull up my checklist. And I'm just going to go to step one and be like, okay, I've already thought this through ahead of time. Now I just go down the list and do this and we solve And is it going to be stressful? Yes, I'm sure it will be. Am I going to lose my mind? Hope not because I already have kind of a checklist in place. So it was a really long, I apologize, but I just think it's so important to have your systems in place beforehand to sit down and think through how you want to run it. So then you're just, you're just following checklists and it's really easy at that point. Then you're not having to constantly think and reinvent the wheel. It's just, Hey, and this second one that we're getting ready to you know close on here soon in, in Gatlinburg, I'm real excited because now I'm like, I just follow my checklist. I don't have to think about anything. I'm just going to, you know, set up this, set up that, and, you know, hopefully it'll go well. That's really great advice. So you set up your systems ahead of time and you follow your checklist and you don't crash the plane. Yeah, that's, that's one of them. Uh, I think the second one I learned, and I'm going to tell a story. It's going to involve us. All right. It's going to involve the low point in our relationship. I hope you're okay with this. That's fine. Uh, okay. It's, but it's a great lesson learned for me. So uh, I would, my second thing was transitioning from a defensive mindset in what I'll call like LTRs, you know, the long-term rentals to, an, you got to be offensive, I think, in short-term rentals. So very specific here, but it helped me a ton. In other words, when I'm in long-term rentals, uh, you know, I'm trying to win the game like seven to three. All right. When I'm in short-term rentals, I'm trying to win the game like 45 to 21. In other words, my margin of victory is significantly more, but I've had, you know, I gave up a lot more on defense 21 but i also scored a lot more and so what i mean by all that is man in long-term rentals you had to pull my teeth to get me to put any money into those places it was like the microwaves broke i'm like 200 to fix it i'm like uh, can i get it like repaired for 50 you know and that was just my mindset because the margins are so thin that like anything that goes wrong i'm like well there's my profit for the month like gone you know like what, what's the point uh short-term rentals totally different game it is all about playing offense in my opinion so in other words i don't sweat anymore about having to fix things and i try to think ahead of like what can i invest in that people are going to you know like and enjoy when they're there and yeah it might cost me a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or more 
But if it gets me a couple good reviews, I mean, especially with how big my place is, that's like a night or two. It pays for itself over again. And so, um, you know, one of the, I'll give two stories. The first one was I had these couches in my place that are just like nasty when I moved in. And I was just like, I don't know if I was like scared of like what it would be like to try to upgrade these couches. And like every other guest would kind of hit me up and be like, hey, you're, I'm not going to write this in the public review, but your couches are kind of gross. I was like, yeah, I got to replace them. And in my mind, it was going to be some like major ordeal to replace these couches. Well, anyway, as you know, like a couple months later, I just eventually called a furniture place and they're like, yeah, you know, here's the size. Here's a picture of one we have. You want us to do these? I was like, yeah, that sounds good. They're like, okay, we'll bring them on Monday. It's like $1,100 for both of them. We'll take your old ones out, call it good to go. And I was like, that was so simple. And that cost me $1,100, which don't get me wrong. It's a lot of money, but like, the complaints went away and people actually started commenting on how nice my couches were now. And I was like, how dumb was that? That I sat on that for like six or seven months. I did the same thing with supplies. I have this huge cabin, right? And my cleaners are like, we're only going to supply, you know, two trash kit bags and one roll of paper towels, one roll of toilet paper. And I was like, okay, cool. That's what you're supplying. So I would write in my ad, you know, we'll give you this, but that's it. Well, then I'm telling you, Avery, every other person, would message me and be like, hey, uh, we're out of trash bags. Where do we get new ones? And I'd be like, uh, if you read the ad, you'll see that I don't offer more than two trash bags. Kroger's open. You know, and I would say it nicer than that, obviously, but you know, you can go get them there. And they're like, okay, cool. And then like the next guest would be like, hey, we ran out of toilet paper. Where's the extra toilet paper? And I was like, well, you'll see that I only offer one per bathroom. So I did this for eight months. And then eventually I'm like, okay, I'm going up there to fix a few things. I'm just going to go by Sam's Club on my way up and I'm just going to get massive amounts of quantities of all this. So I got like 700 trash bags, 200 rolls of paper towels, 200 things of toilet paper, like all this stuff. My bill when I checked out at Sam's Club was $199, okay? I went up there, stocked the place, put all this stuff in my supply closet, told my cleaners from this point forward, underneath the sink, you know, put two extra rolls of toilet or two extra towels, I'm sorry, paper towels, you know, put a bag of garbage bags here, this and that. And it was like, no one ever asked me again. And I haven't had a single person ask me for two months about where all this extra stuff is. And I'm like, how dumb am I? Like, I literally could have solved this problem with $199 and it would have just like freed up all this time that I would get. But it took me eight months to learn that. The story I want to tell about us that, that I'm sure you've been waiting for is you'll remember I was freaking out because when we were getting ready to close on the cabin that, that I currently have, there was water that was kind of coming through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And again, that you, we you never probably, could I mean, get them to no. fix. <laughs> and it was in, it was in the contract that they had to address it, or I think there was something like that. And I was losing yeah, we my had mind. An amendment. Yeah, yeah, we had an amendment. And I was just losing my mind because I was like, they said they were going to fix this. And again, in my long-term rental mindset, I was like, this is going to cost me a thousand dollars to fix. There goes my profit for the first year. You know, like this is a tragedy of no end. And and I remember you were kind of like, well, just we can get it fixed after you close in the cabin. I was like, what? Why would I pay for it? Like, that's insane. You know, but I understand now what you were saying. And that is if you, if it's good enough to get it up and running, not granted, if there's some major problem that people aren't going to be able to stay there. Okay. That's one thing. But we, it was leaking down the, the, the wall. It wasn't like water was gushing and people couldn't stay there. But hey, just close in the cabin and then, you know, pay someone to go out there and fix it because you're going to make more money in that first week with bookings than you would ever spend on fixing this thing. And if you don't, and number one, this deal falls through, then you're a really big idiot. Number two, if you hold off for two or three weeks, that's two or three weeks in June on a five bedroom with a pool in Gatlinburg that you're going to lose income on because you're worried about a five or $600 fix, maybe, 
at most, just freaking close and go. Like, don't get hung up on this. And I just couldn't grasp it. I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm letting this happen. And so that's kind of what ended up happening because they said they fixed it, but in reality, they didn't. And I ended up, I think I paid someone 300 bucks and they came and basically fixed it. But that mindset shift was so hard for me to just be like, okay, this is about offense now. Just get on the playing field. Like, just get going. Like, you will figure this out as you go. And don't worry about trying to save 200 bucks right now and, and risk not closing on this house over something that, yeah, just hire someone to fix it as soon as you're done and just freaking go. So, again, that sounds ridiculous now looking back, but uh, at the time it was something I just didn't understand. So, Well, that's the case a lot of times with, with people's first short-term rental investment is that in that particular instance, that was ridiculous that we could not get them to go fix this thing that it said in the contract they had to fix. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, trying to pursue that legally would have taken more time and effort and money out of your pocket than us just figuring out figuring it out after we close. And um, yeah. that's definitely a hard a hard speed bump for people to get over sometimes. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, and so I think the, just the last couple I'd have for new investors, and these will be a lot shorter and sweeter. Um, when it comes to especially, this is a short terminal thing. Uh, it's not, I think I'd say it's not me, it's you when it comes to guests complaining at times. I take every guest complaint seriously, but I also take it with a grain of salt because I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times over. I'll have one guest that'll stay that'll be like, these beds are awful. You need to replace every single one of them. Your pillows suck. Like this place is the worst. And I'm just like sweating out the negative review. And I'm like, okay, hopefully they don't give me a review that talks about all this. And then the next guest will come like two days later and they'll be like, your beds are amazing. And I love every single one of your pillows. And I'm just like, okay. So I have learned that it is, uh, you're only as bad or you're only as good as your last guest, but you're only as bad as your last guest too. It's quick, right? So these guests come in and they're out. So if you have a bad guest, that's okay. Don't freak out. Now, if I start getting consistent feedback about something, that's when I take notice. I'm like, okay, I've had this, you know, three or four times now. I need to look at maybe addressing this, but if it's a one-off thing, I don't, I, I talk really nice to him. I let him know that's something I'm concerned about, but then I let it go because likelihood the next guest, they're going to not even be worried about it. And so I've, I've learned that that's been kind of tough to learn over time. Uh, and then the, the, the last two, uh, just never stop learning or adapting. Uh, it, it just every day I'm just trying to learn something a little bit new. There's people out there that are doing it better than I am. And I just want to learn from them and, and get better at that. And then the last piece, and this is one of the most important ones is it always remember it's an investment. It's not your dream house. And I think people get caught up in that sometimes where they're, they're looking for their dream house and you can have a dream house but they don't call it an investment. Those are different things. And just like some people then take it really personally when people destroy their things, you can't take it personally. You can take it personally and you can say, I'm only going to rent to a group of, you know, nuns you know, that are going to come here, but then, you know, don't be upset when you don't make money that on it too. So that, that's just a mindset shift that, that at, at times I got to remind myself that, Hey, this, I'm looking to do this to make money. This is a business. This is not my dream home. Uh, that, so I don't take it personally when people destroy it. I don't get offended when you know people don't like something about the house, the way it's set up. And I'm not worried about everything being perfect in it uh, because again, this is a, I got into this as a business. Uh, it's an investment for me. Um, and so I'm looking at it from a, a revenue perspective. And, and so that for me is one of the other keys to success in this is just understand this is not, this is not your dream home. And it, you can have a dream home, but just don't call it uh, an investment short-term rental property because those are different things. 100% agree. It's either an investment or it's your personal home. As soon as you start even thinking of an investment as your personal dream home, your income goes down before you even have a guest check in. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about mindset quite a bit. So that's a great segue into my last question, which is, have you read any books lately or what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the one that I've read the, in the past year that's helped me out is the, the E-Myth. Uh, I think it's now the E-Myth Revisited. They did a revision on it. But, it, you know, essentially why small businesses fail. And if you couldn't tell from earlier, I'm a big process guy. Uh, I swear I'm interesting in real life, but I do believe in process. And I believe in repeatable things and checklists and things of that nature. And that book, I think, just does a really great job of just opening up, hey, you, your business can't control you. Uh, and in order for not to control you, you have to have processes for things. You have to have systems in place to deal with things. And that book just, I, I kind of knew that going in that that was probably a part of success, but that book just really helped spell it out for me that, hey, this is this is how you succeed. And in my opinion, if you are investing in real estate, especially starting out, you're running a small business is what you're doing. Now, when you get larger, obviously, there, there's some changes that happen, but at least starting out like I am, uh, you know, with under 10 properties, you know, that, that is still a small business for the most part. And so there's just a lot of good lessons in there about uh, setting things up so that your business is not running your life. Um, I like to look at it as, the reason I love short term so much and I've had so much fun with it is that it is if you set up your systems right, it is by its nature passive, but you can be optionally active in it. In other words, if I have a really busy week and I just have things going on with the kids and at work, I really, you know, I don't spend more than maybe 20, 30 minutes uh, on, on the short term rental. Uh, and uh, and I don't think that time's going to go up that much, to be honest with you, when we expand a little bit here, because the things that I'm doing, I would do for either place. Um, and so on those busy weeks, I can be essentially passive. So it's passive by nature, but it's optionally active for me in that when I want to, when I have a little extra time and I want to sit down and be like, okay, how can I generate a little bit more revenue? Like, do I need to change my pictures around a little bit? Do I need to look at my description? Do I need to play with my pricing? What can I add to the home? Like, can I add a skee-ball machine? Would that make sense? Like running numbers on that? It's fun because then you can do that. And you, you you, know, you constantly have that, you know, different hit of like bookings coming in and that's you know, your feedback of, you know, whether or not you're doing a good job in addition to the reviews that you get. So I like that aspect of it a ton. Whereas with long-term rentals, you know, you sign up your lease and well, you pretty much know how much money you're going to get for the next year for that property, you know, and th there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think people get into trouble with short-term rentals when it becomes by its nature active and optionally passive. And I think that when they get those two mixed up is when it kind of bites them a little bit and they tend to be like, all right, I'm out of this game. This is not the fun that I thought it was going to be. Exactly. You just dropped so many wisdom bombs on our, on our listeners on this episode. I'm you like so happy that you came on. Thank you so, well, so much for coming. Johnny Rockstar that we call you around here. <laughs> and, no, I uh, appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're on the, the short term shop Facebook group. Is there anywhere else that um, that our listeners can get a hold of you? Yeah. If you want yeah, to so be I'm gotten pretty... hold of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you can find me on the, that Facebook group. Um, I do have Instagram. I think it's uh, Johnny D two four two four. But to be honest, I'm not that active. I'm like literally learning how to use Instagram like as we speak. Uh, so uh, I would say the easiest way to get a hold of me by far is just to find me on that Facebook group and uh, and send me a friend request, and, and I'll be happy to to share numbers and whatnot. You know, I, I am an Excel sheet nut. I know I know Luke is not, and he's like an, you know anti. Excel sheet. Uh, it works for me. So I continue to do it. Um, and I, you know, I've built out an Excel sheet for how I do my booking and track my numbers. And eventually I'm going to probably have to give it up when I get big enough. But for now, I, I really enjoy it. And I'm happy to share that kind of stuff. And, you know, any of the manuals, things like that. I, I would not be here if it you know, wasn't for you and, and the folks at the short term shop just just helping me. Um, so I'm 100% I'm all about helping others and, uh, and giving them anything that I can give to help them, you know, succeed as well. So Awesome. There's nothing that makes me happier than when an investor says, 
that I've helped them. Like that really means a lot to me because that's, that's why we do it. And um, yeah. I'm really happy that, that you've had success and we will catch you next time. Johnny Rockstar. All right. See ya. Thanks.